You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. City Church, good morning. You can be seated. Uh, uh, Good morning, Zoom people. Oh, and I just moved that stand, and I'll move this stand. Um, (laughs) My name is Tiger, trying to get it together. Uh, Nice to see everybody. Uh, Welcome to City Church. We are a radically welcoming community on the journey toward Jesus. Let's do it. Um, So now is the time we will pray for our kids because we love kids. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for bringing us all here together. Thank you that you are here with us. Wherever two or three are gathered, you are here and I pray that we will make meaningful contact with you this morning. Thank you for our kiddos. Thank you for our Sunday school teachers, for our parents. Um, Thank you for all the queer families and single parent families and non-traditional families and guardians and grandmas and grandpas and uncles and aunts. Thank you for the Lafayette community and the kids and teachers either coming back or getting ready to come back. Thanks for all the families getting ready to start school or for those of us who've already started. I pray especially for the queer kids, for the kids trying out something new, um, for all the people who are worried or excited. Just pray that they will feel you with them and help the teachers as they get ready to uh, go back and deal with COVID and masks and new names and um, remembering everything. We just thank you that you are with us always, whatever our circumstances, and that you are right there um, waiting for us to turn to you to ask you for help. You're right there waiting for us to reach out to you, for you to comfort us. And I also pray that you help us to be your hands and feet to be there when other people are looking for you to comfort them, that we can be there to comfort them, that we can be your hands and feet and show your love to our students and classmates and teachers and colleagues and our clients and all the people, our colleagues. Um, I also pray for people dealing with um, COVID Um, college kids who are dealing, trying to get over COVID before they go back to school, and uh, my mother-in-law with COVID, and um, I just pray that you help people to feel you and also feel your comfort and and have wisdom in, in how to deal with all the things. Thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. And Brenna Rubio, our co-pastor here. Thanks, Tiger. And I actually want to take the chance, too, just to invite any of the kids who would like to. Um, Teachers like Miss Emma are going to meet you right here. So any kids from like, you know, four years old to fifth grade or so, if you want to head on out and have fun with crafts and stories and games. Um, And just a quick side note, last week we had a really fun experiment with our youth, kind of sixth grade and up. 
seeing what a little bit of youth group action might look like here at City Church. Still very tentative. We're still figuring it out. Um, but any parents or kids, you know, in that kind of age range, uh, if you want to talk to me or to Amy, who, Amy, where are you? Amy's waving over here in the back because uh, you want to hear about, yeah, we, Amy's a big deal. Let's be honest. Somebody who wants to work with our kids, who we love, yeah, that's a big deal. So make sure you can talk with me or Amy if you haven't been hearing some of the stuff about that, and we will we'll hook you up so you can find out more. Um, it's so good to be with all of you today. Bill is actually out of town. It's his turn to get a little vacation. So we're not going to see him this week because he's getting some much needed rest and relaxation with his family on the East Coast. And next week, he's actually going to be back in town, but he's going to be preaching for a sister church of ours in Los Angeles, which is pretty awesome, too. So I get to be with you all again after so long, and it is so good. So I want to start this morning um, a little differently, perhaps than usual, because I want to start with a city church apology. You know, I feel like as a community, and certainly Bill and I as your leaders, we are always learning. I mean, we have been a such a learning journey as a community over, I mean, ever since we started learning about sexuality and race, justice. Last week, we started talking about ableism uh, and disability justice together, uh, which was, you know, it. I loved getting to start that conversation. This morning, as I was diving into the Jesus story that we're going to be reading together, I realized, man, I think it's time for us to, to share a little bit and apologize in another area where I think we're learning. We're learning and growing. And when you learn, you know, you, you know better, you do better, right? So uh, someone that we love to follow on social media, Bill and I, and feel like we've learned so much from, she issued an apology in the last couple of months that I feel like in and of itself was such an example for us to follow and for us to go like, yes, even when we do it badly, like, this is how we can do it badly better, <laughs> right? Like, this is how we apologize. And so it's Brandy Miller who podcasts at Reclaiming My Theology. And she was just apologizing so humbly uh, and so thoroughly for a devotional she had published. And what she wrote is this. The specific devotional critiques the temple and religious system rather than the specific leaders that Jesus is talking to and then about to the crowds. And in doing so, I fed into Christian assumptions about the inherent need for the temple, Jews, and Jewish practices to be dismantled, destroyed, or replaced. She's talking about anti-Semitism and ways that in Christianity, if we're not careful, we can feed into anti-Semitic sentiment without intending to. And so reflecting on her own action, she said, it's dangerous, historically problematic in all kinds of ways, and not okay. Given the long history of Christian anti-Semitism, this is so important, right? Because key leaders throughout Christian history have been guilty of abstracting Jesus from his Jewish context. I mean, it's part of the whole blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus phenomenon, right? Of that we don't picture Jesus as the Jewish brown leader that he was. And, and so influential Christian leaders from Calvin um, to Luther, and then it feeds into Hitler, the KKK today, white Christian nationalism today, uh, these, these ways that we talk sometimes not so articulately about Jesus' relationship to his Jewish context can really feed into this, this dangerous anti-Semitic sentiment. And a friend of ours pointed out to us that there's a prayer that we have been regularly praying as a church 
that could do this as well. Because this prayer takes the phrase, the temple, and uses it as sort of a broad metaphor for things that are wrong with all sorts of religious systems, sort of an, maybe an over-formality or a reliance on the rules. But to use the temple like that, whatever the intent, feeds into potentially some of these dangerous stereotypes. It can feed into uh, anti-Semitic sentiment. And so we just want to say today that we're sorry. We're not planning on using that prayer as a community anymore because we realize it could be confusing. Whatever our intent was, this is the impact. The impact has, has the, not just the potential, but in reality, it has so often resulted in harm to a particular community that we know God loves and we love. Um, and we're so thankful to the friend who brought it up to us. And we are gonna have these blind areas, and so I just wanna invite you all. I, as we, we talked about last week even, like ableist language, you know, we're gonna have blind spots on that, and it's not okay. And we're not gonna be able to learn and, and do better without you guys lovingly calling us in and helping us learn how to do better. So just a free invitation to help us continue as a community um, to grow. I know I, I heard someone else where there was, there was an example of some, some ableist language. It's actually a, a term that has been in the news a lot lately because it was in song lyrics and, and people weren't aware of um, the, the ableism uh, implicit in the language. And, and so how do we help each other when somebody just casually uses a phrase, maybe they don't even know the origin, right? They don't know that it's based off of, you know, a particular uh, disability. Um, how do we help each other? How do we inform each other? Um, anyway, so this is the apology. And as we read the passage, you're going to see why today was a day that I really wanted to make sure that I shared that. Because we are diving into a passage of scripture where it's Jesus and the religious leaders of his day who happen to be Jewish, right? That is his particular context. But it's, it's really important that we are aware as we go in that we're not pointing fingers at those religious leaders. That's never the point, right? The point is, man, how does reading this passage of scripture, what does God have to say to me, right? I mean, to me as a religious leader in this community, oh my goodness, this passage hits hard. It makes me ask some real questions for all of us. You know, maybe thinking about what does God have to say to me today about religious leaders I've been hurt by? in the past and how I might heal or religious systems that have been hurtful and I've been complicit. Where is their freedom in this passage? It's not about pointing fingers at these particular leaders in their particular context. It's what does God have to say to us today? Um, and really, as we do that, we're gonna see that today's conversation just continues a larger theme of rest, restoration, refocusing that we've been talking about all summer. Because the question we're asking is, how can religion itself make it harder for us to rest? As much as we think it's supposed to invite us in to rest, Jesus is inviting us into rest. So our friend Edward uh, is gonna come up and read scripture for us today. Would you welcome Edward with me? You who? And if you'd like to stand, you're welcome to. Zoom, you don't have to. Hi, everyone. Okay, this is uh, Luke 1137 uh, to 46. Uh, Woes on the Pharisees and the experts in the law. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. 
but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, Pharisees, clean your the outside now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of your cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisee, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of er garden herbs, but you neglect justice and love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. People of God, this is the word of God. Please be seated. And Edward, thank you. Okay. So we, having kind of had the more serious introduction, the apology, now we're moving into a little bit of crowd participation. Okay? Think, you really have to help me out this morning, okay? Because our loud pastor is not here. <laughs> so I need all of those, you who, you are more extroverted, you're ready to welcome people in. Man, we're, we're going to do a little bit of crowd participation this morning, and I, I'm going to need your help with this. Because what I want to talk about, and I want to give us the chance to talk about in some groups, not particularly small. So if you're feeling quiet this morning, you can just listen in. It won't be so small as to be awkward. Um, what I want to talk about is, why are churches so exhausting? You've thought about this before. I know you have, because I've had the one-on-one -on -one conversations with you. Why are churches so exhausting? They really are sometimes. I can't believe you guys are still coming here at 1030 on a Sunday morning when you could be somewhere sipping mimosas. Like, really, what is going on? I mean, I'm glad to be with you and everything, but why are churches so exhausting? So we are going to do this kind of um, family feud style. So you're going to be a group over here, kind of split halfway here, a group, a group, a group, out here on the patio, on Zoom, Zoom. I'm going to get quieted in just a second. Joe will shut me off, and you guys are going to get to talk with Serena. And your question for conversation is, think if you were polling 100 people on the street, and you ask them, why is the church so exhausting? What are some of the top answers that they would give? Now, then we're going to come back, and you're going to have a spokesperson, right, who's going to share one of your answers. But just like Family Feud, I mean, if it's already taken, it's already taken. So you're going to go to number two on your list, OK? All right, so feel free to make it good. Be raw. Be honest, you know, just in case there are small kids listening at home or something, you know, maybe keep it PG. Um, but other than that, raw and honest is good. Why is the church so exhausting? Does everybody know what they're doing? Group one, two, three, four, five, and Zoom, six. We're going to need six good answers about why the church is exhausting. Five minutes, ready, set, go. Okay, good morning, guys. So why is the church so exhausting? We can throw out some ideas here if you want to mute yourself or if it's easier, more, much more comfortable for you. Um, you can also put it in the chat. Whatever makes you feel comfortable, we can share these ideas here, and then we can throw it to Brenna. So, hmm, why? 
is the church so exhausting? How does the ch church as an institution just kind of load and bring people down? What do you think? Okay, so we have some ideas coming through. Demanding of time, yes responsibilities, board, volunteering committees. Yeah. Expectations of volunteering all of your time. Judgmental. Yeah, that comes up. Okay, so thank you for sharing that, that there can be settings where it's not exhausting. Yes. Oh, but visited formal places, settings where you can be afraid at times for doing the wrong thing. So there's these expectations, right? It's kind of level of standards of how we need to show up or long-winded sermons. That never happens here. <laughs> Biblical readings. Okay, so one way to look at it is the church is exhausting because they demand moral perfection. So yes, expectations, we have to reach a certain level. And perfection, oh, that's, that's tough. Moral perfection. Members not doing the work. Mm -hmm. Doesn't feel familiar. There isn't that much of a connection, perhaps. Demanding perfection, yes. Oh, church isn't exhausting. People are exhausting. Ah, okay. Christians are supposed to love like God loves, and yet so many churches are exclusive and unwelcoming. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. So think, yeah. what are you going to say first? Great. Oh, such good points, everyone. Thank you for sharing. As we just can't really be ourselves in the church, right? <laughs> Serena, sorry, I missed that cue. That was just the one minute warning. Oh, okay. Thank you. 
perpetuates many cycles of spiritual abuse and oppression. Okay, it's announced that we have less than a minute left. Any other ideas? Let's see. Institutional, yeah. Expectation that you need to know one truth to be certain. If there's only one truth, there's only one way. Yes. Oh, so good. What is your top thought? Oh, let's see. So. All right, I think we're going to start pulling it back together. That was some fun energy in this room. And I saw fun energy on Zoom. Lots happening in the chat, out here on the patio even. All right. So Zoom, you guys figure out in the chat or Serena, I'm going to look for you to give us your top thought in just a second. Hey, patio friends. Can you give us your first answer? Why is the church so exhausting? You're going to be person number one. <laughs> so. Okay, awesome. Exclusionary and unwelcoming. I mean, it's not awesome, but it's true, right? Can we give him a hand? Yeah. Okay, Zoom. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. What do we have from you guys? Um, okay, Serena, you're gonna, demanding perfection. Okay. Uh, oh, Tiger, you're awesome. Thank you. Tiger's gonna scribe for us. Woohoo, Tiger. Okay, yeah, so we had exclusionary and unwelcoming is our answer number one. On Family Feud, it would get a ding, 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 ding. We all agree with that. Okay. And then number two, demanding perfection and needing to follow like there's only one truth. You can't be yourself, which goes with a lack of connection. However, Tiger's, Tiger's a therapist too, so I'm gonna let her summarize and reflect back because that's how we feel heard and connected with. Demanding perfection, and there's only one truth. Maybe we'll summarize like that, does that work? Okay, so we're exclusionary, demanding perfection in. As a perfectionist this morning, man, I hear you. My own soul does that to me all the time. Okay, how about, how about over here? What do you guys think? I can't quite get it. Hypocrisy. Anybody agree with that? Give it a little, yeah. It's like the cheerometer here. I think Tiger is ranking like how they, uh, how they're hitting Tiger too. You initially assigned numbers and so I'm following the numbers. Oh, okay. I like it. That makes sense. I'm the one kind of not clear on my own system. <laughs> well, let's keep it spicy. Then we're going to go over here to group four. What do you guys think? I saw a few little groups talking. which is maybe even part of the social anxiety, right? Yeah, so social anxiety slash authenticity. What? Oh, wow. That was so deep. I'm like, I've got to think. It's so good, but it's so deep. I got to think about that one. Joe, the Zoom audience. Yeah, do you want to answer for them? Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. I told Joe to shout out to me this morning, anything I was not remembering. Um, yeah. So say it one more time. It, the, the church's agenda is always unfolding. So there's kind of no end. Yeah. 
Yeah? Yeah. Well, does that feel true to people? Yeah. I know. Yeah. 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 Like what's, what's the list of demands that come with that and list of expectations and you're always learning more. There's never like, you never just get it exactly right. Mm. Yeah, I know. I know. I know this, you guys, we're, we're, we're deep crowd here. So it's going to be hard to stick to our family feud, but we're trusting tiger. Tiger is going to make sense of it all. Um, <laughs> Okay, over here. I think this is group three. So, yeah, like demands on your time and energy, right? And the guilt trip. Not only demands, but then the guilt trip. So all the activities and maybe even volunteering, right? Yeah, the demands and the guilt. Okay, it's a good one. Um, Zoom, let's see. Yeah, I said Zooms, okay, I'm sorry. So I think we're just here. You guys, I'm so sorry, you're in the, you're in the hardest position. What did you guys come up with that has not been said by everybody else? Right. So it's like you come to church and man, I might have to, if I go to church, I might have to change something. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. You guys are amazing. Tiger, you're amazing. Thank you. All right. So let's summarize one more time. Hypocrisy, conviction, I'm going to have to change, time and energy demands and the guilt trip, the social anxiety, can I really show up as my real self? Um, do I really understand what they expect from me? Are the demands ever gonna end? Um, it can be exclusionary and unwelcoming and the sense that it can like demand perfection and only one, per I mean, it's like one version of perfection, right? Like somebody's interpretation of what, um, of what perfection is. I resonate with all of those. And that's a little difficult because as a leader, then I'm like, oh man, where do I, you know, where do I do that? But, but it's true. And it's not just you guys, right? I mean, all of you people in this room are saying all of these different churches we've been in, these different religious communities, there's something in us that's saying like, yes, this is too often the experience. I know that several weeks ago, our, our friend, Pastor Larry Dove came out and he preached about Jesus saying, hey, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. What's going on? A <laughs> little bit of a mismatch. And it seemed like as we read our passage today, as Edward read it for us, that mismatch was operative back then too. Again, it's not one religious system. It's so many religious systems. This is what happens. So a little bit of context, just really quickly, the people that Jesus is talking to, right? He's talking about kind of two flavors of religious leaders. But, but they really have the same underlying theme, which is that they're all about the rules. The Pharisees, who Jesus is addressing much of his conversation to, they're part of a particular sect of Judaism that really emphasizes personal piety, the sense of personal 
holiness and following some rules about what it means to be holy, to be righteous. Um, and you can see that, right? Like in, in the story where the one leader, I mean, what kind of sets off this whole conversation is Jesus doesn't wash his hands before eating. And I mean, there's like, you know, like especially having just gone through a global pandemic, right? There's like some just kind of like, ooh, Jesus, you know, like be clean, be clean, dude. But that's not actually what's happening here, right? That's not, it's not just hygiene. It's actually religious devotion. It's a sense that Jesus has just violated one of the rules in the religious community. And so the leader is kind of offended. I'm like, how, you know, hey, you're supposed to be a religious leader too. Why aren't you following the rules? Um, some of the Pharisees are priests. You know, they're, they're people like Bill and I who are in kind of formal religious roles. But some of them are just the lay leaders. I mean, they're the people who serve coffee. You know, um, they, they help with the kids. They, they're part of the church board. You know what I mean? They're, they're the lay leaders. In this context, it seems a little bit like they're the self-appointed morality police uh, going around hitting some of this stuff like, ooh, you didn't show up, guilt trip. Um, hey, there's a particular kind of person who's welcome here or not welcome and, you know, you, you're not wearing the right clothes. I mean, all sorts of different, different things, definitely, oh man. We're going to sense the hypocrisy in this passage, but they're the kind of self-appointed morality police. Um, and so just like they had particular rules in their context, I think we resonate with this passage because we have all sorts of rules in our context. I mean, they might be different for you. Some of the rules that I grew up with about what I was not supposed to do if I was going to be holy were things like some of the churches, it was like no dancing or drinking. You know, they were super strict. Um, I definitely, I never personally experienced this, but I had friends whose churches were all about the, like, no kissing until you get married. I was always like, that's going to be fun. Um, not being queer, not being politically liberal, you know? Like, here's some of the rules that if you're going to be part of our community, here are the things you're not supposed to do. And then some of what you guys were talking about, what about the long list of things that you are supposed to do if you're going to be holy? Are you going to have a quiet time with your Bible open every day and pray the right way? Uh, are you going to volunteer for the church? Um, I actually remember my childhood, my mom volunteering for kids ministry at a church and being told no because she didn't attend the Sunday night prayer meeting. And of course she was devastated, right? Some of you I know have had some devastating stories where you volunteered for something. You like said, I want to give you my time and energy. And somebody told you no. You weren't holy enough to do that thing. Um, and some of these things could be good. Like, I'm not saying it's bad to read your Bible, but is it, should we make it a should? Are there some good things that could be chocolate cake for us? They could be get-to sorts of things, but we make them into like dry salad. They're just shoulds, right? That's, that's the type of stuff that the morality police are going to do. Um, I've heard from others of you, Kidman is like such a, it's always a good example because it's just a volunteer heavy area like in the church. But so someone was, they can identify themselves or not. I didn't tell them I was going to tell this story. Um, so I'm not naming names, but they were invited to a Kidman meeting at a different church. You know, it's like, hey, we just want to get to know all the parents. And then they show up there and it's 
the total like pass around the clipboard because every parent has to sign up and serve total bait and switch right and just feeling all this like pressure and just ick and manipulation um, that's something the morality police can do too so the pharisees are the main version of religious leader we see i actually love that the the scribes they're called in in our version that we read today the experts in the law they're really just the lawyers they're all about the rules too but i love how they kind of pop in and like they just want to stick up for their friends all you know jesus teacher when you say these things you're offending us too and jesus is like i'm so glad you noticed man i was really worried that had like gone over your head right no he's like yeah yeah that that wasn't unintentional um he was willing to bother people when they needed to be bothered so the difference right is that these people are the system insiders and the people who are benefiting from the system the people who are building the system in charge of the system they have power over the system and jesus is a rabbi and i'll be honest i don't know that i ever saw this so clearly before i was doing just a little bit of work and research um for talking here today and we're going like oh the rabbis were a little different weren't they because they actually didn't work so much in the system they weren't um, employed necessarily by a particular synagogue right they weren't necessarily working in the temple they were teachers they were respected but they were outside the system and often they had other jobs that's why we think of jesus as like the lowly carpenter right and later on in his ministry, there are just other people who are working and supporting Jesus as he's traveling around. He's not in the system. No religious system is cutting him a paycheck. And there's a certain freedom that goes with that, right? Where you suddenly get to actually critique the system and say what you really think. You're close enough that you see what's happening You've had the experience, but you get to say, yeah, this is not exactly right. And so what we start to see as this passage unfolds is Jesus has a different relationship with the, the religious system and a different take on what the holiness rules really mean. So let me grab a prop. It's a prop kind of morning. Okay. So he's talking about dishes, bowls, cups, all this thing. He says, okay, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish. And I actually did make an effort this morning to take my simple little mixing bowl and rub off some of the watermarks and stuff and make it a little, little shinier for you all. Um, I'm not much of a housekeeper, but this is my effort. Yep, shiny, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, he says, okay, you, you clean it up on the outside really nice, but inside, man, it's gross. You are full of greed and wickedness. Man, it's, it's not good stuff. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? So now, as for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Okay, I had to spend a little time on this, because I'm like, it's not exactly like Jesus is just saying, screw the rules. I mean, he's still kind of saying, hey, there's, I, I think there's a better way to do it. There's still something he's suggesting, something he's moving us towards as his listeners, what is it that he's trying to critique? What is it that he's trying to say? And here's where I think it goes. What if what matters most is, is kind of, what if we need to think about where we're starting? What order are we trying to approach things in our lives? See, the way the Pharisees were doing it, the way that religious systems in general tend to do it is, yeah, we focus on kind of behaviorism. What are we doing? 
what are the actions, like I said, of volunteering, following the rules. So we focus on how the thing is looking on the outside. But what Jesus is saying, like, okay, but what's inside, that's what's going to get you. Because imagine, I don't clean this bowl, right? Um, I let it continue to rot, decay, mildew, mold, sit on my cabinet. And then tomorrow night when I'm supposed to have some people over for dinner, I'm like, I need a bowl. So, you know, maybe I decide to make some soup. And I stick my soup. I'm like, it's clean on the outside. I can serve from here, right? By the time I put my soup in here, no one knows. But it may hurt them, right? Like, ugh, what did I just do? Later on, and I'm skipping to a, a different message, uh, a different version of this, but in verse 44, Jesus is, is using a different picture, and he talks about them as unmarked graves. And in the message, it goes like this, frauds, you're just like unmarked graves. People walk over that nice grassy surface, never suspecting the rot and corruption that's six feet under. People will eat from your dirty bowl, never knowing you're giving them salmonella, botulism, whatever it is. Rough things are coming for you that night. And so it's a different picture, right? He's saying, okay, what if instead of spending all this energy and starting here on the outside, where it doesn't, there's no substantial effect. What if you start on the inside? What if you spend all your energy, like clean, scrub here, and you know, as you do that, again, I'm not that much of a housekeeper, but generally, I mean, it spills over, right? This is where the bulk of the mess is. And some suds, some water, it's all gonna splash, like this is gonna get cleaned up. It's gonna look better, but you're gonna start with the important time the important part. Let's think again, like, let's say, and you know, not that I've ever done this, but you have people coming over and you need to do the desperation clean, right? You've got an hour and you somehow have to take a space that is very, very messy to a space that is reasonable. You know, like somebody who's an adult lives here. Um, and so you have one hour, how are you going to prioritize your time, right? Are you going to go and start like getting out the toothbrush so you can scrub out the toaster? right, all those little crumbs that get stuck in there? That'd be silly. That'd be silly, right? No, you're gonna start with the big stuff. You're gonna go around and get all the piles of dirty laundry that are in weird places. And you're gonna shove them in where they belong and you know, maybe shove a few things in a closet, sure, but you might also run a load of dishes and you, know, you, you focus on the major stuff. So that's where Jesus goes next. He says, okay, if we're gonna start in the right place, what is it that it's on the inside of the bowl? Well, first he'd said, well, it's, it's being generous to the poor, which sounds a lot to me like neighbor love. And then he goes on and he says, as another example, he says, here's what you're doing. You're doing that scrubbing the toaster thing. You're giving God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. Do you know how big garden herbs are? I mean, yeah, they can get a little bit big, but still it's like, it's like you're doing this little itty bitty work on the side, but you've neglected the big stuff justice and the love of God. You're, you're puttering at loving God and neighbors. Like I putter sometimes when I should be cleaning. It's really procrastinating, right? And that's okay. But, but we're missing it. We're not actually, we're not starting at what matters and what's actually going to move us in the direction of God's heart. 
So I think that really, all that is a long lead up to like, what is Jesus really inviting us to instead of this? Because all of this, it's, it's that, it's the hypocrisy of focusing on the outside of the bowl. And, um, and it's even like trying to tell people what they should be convicted by. Because man, that's just weight. That's burden. When, when Jesus is the one who actually talks to you about what you need to do, it does tend to feel a little more restful versus me up here trying to say, this is the word of God to you today. Um, that comes a little more heavy. It's, it's all of this about community, neighbor love, relationship building, that this is so much the opposite of. So we often like to talk about like justice, what's inside the bowl. We use Cornell West's amazing definition. We say, hey, justice is what love looks like in public. Right? It's just love in the public square. This morning, I'm thinking of it as neighbor love. So there are ways that like justice in here in this community is how are we loving each other? But then it is about like the school system and we're reminded every time we gather that we are part of a larger community because we're, we're here in an LBUSD school connected to the entire city. And we, we remember that and you have neighborhoods that you live in and how do you, how do you live with neighbor love there? We have a country we're part of, we have a world we're part of. It's, it's actually about relationships, right? There's something that is not about all of this where it's just demands, but there's something that just says, no, it's about your heart and it's about connection. It's about relationship. So I think what it really comes down to is even, are we, are we confusing what it means to be holy? And often, the environments that have shaped us spiritually, they have confused us about what it means to be holy. Because they, just like in Jesus' day, have made it about the rules. And the rules are heavy and demanding and exhausting. Rules are actually more about purity. This sense of, am I getting it right? And it and I want to get it right because only the people who get it right are in. Only the people who get it right are part of the community. The people who get it wrong might get pushed out. Actually, even the name Pharisees is actually connected um, linguistically to this idea of separation. Because there's a sense of we might become contaminated if we get it wrong. If we're around people who've gotten it wrong. So we've so often been taught that holiness is about separation. It's about purity. But another amazing writer, thinker, preacher, Nadia Boltz Weber, she puts it so well. Purity most often leads to pride or to despair, not actually to holiness. Because holiness is about union with, not separation from. Purity is about separation from Holiness is about union with. I mean, for me, it was just, when I read that for the first time, I thought like, holiness, to be whole, right? Within yourself, within a community, with others, with God. How do we actually experience integration and connection? Joy, it's, it's about relationship. Holiness is actually about how we are connected and we are in this together. That's a pretty radical shift. 
Because all of a sudden it becomes like, what's the point of being hypocritical? That would actually disturb your holiness. You can't be connected to someone who doesn't actually know who you are, right? Um, conviction just would come in a much more gentle and relational and human, not exhausting sort of way. We wouldn't want to guilt trip each other any more than we would want to want to be guilt tripped ourselves. We would know that we're fully accepted. We would know that perfection, man, that's just a, that's a fantasy, right? That's not who real people are. Wholeness is a completely different picture of holiness. And, and so what I love about this story is Jesus is saying like, let's stop it. Let's stop it. Let's not put these heavy burdens on each other. It's, it's a double whammy, really, because we not only hold you to impossible standards, but then we're not even going to help you. <laughs> That's what he's saying to them. Like, you don't even help them. You just say, do the impossible, and, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> but we, over here, who set the standards, because they work for us, we're just fine. So that's all that matters. What if we flip it? What if we actually start, not with demands, but we just start with connection? So verse that said, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Really just means change. That whole like conviction area. What if it's just because it's, it's kindness and it's love? As I was thinking about how that operates for us in a way that I feel encouraged by. You know, I know so many friends in the LGBTQ community who experiences of church, of church have often been all about the demands and demands that have felt pretty impossible. This sense of, hey, here's what you have to do. You either have to like embrace chastity or, you know, act like you're heterosexual and then you can be part of the church. And so whole areas of life and self just have to be sort of smushed and denied and not brought into relationship. And it's awful because areas in our lives that are not brought into relationship that we can't talk about, we can't process, we can't even admit are there. And those are the areas that where we don't get to grow, right? We don't get to grow into our deepest, truest selves. And so here at City Church, it's been such an honor and a joy to get to have conversations with people, with some of, you know, my LGBTQ plus friends, like, hey, how's dating going, right? Or your marriage, your life with your kids. To actually get to say, like, man, I'm, I'm so glad we get to do this together. Or we're talking with ace friends, friends in the asexual community about what life-giving relationship looks like for them these days. And I mean, the, the feedback I've heard, the, what, what I've heard from people is that that has been, it's mattered, right? It matters to get to come and to church and not just kind of like, well, I'm gonna interpret the sermon about heterosexual marriage and try to apply that to my own relationship sort of in my head-ish without saying anything about it. But to say like, no, my marriage is actually part of the community. We're fully, fully involved. It just seems like that's where rest is for all of us to know. We can bring our true selves. And it, it's about how we connect and it's about 
wholeness, not about white knuckling it to meet the rules, to accomplish the list. Um, and so we hope we can do that for each other here at City Church. You know, we talk all the time about being unforced. Uh, that's just actually a key value for us, that we really want people to feel like, hey, I can come and I can be part of community in the way that works for me. Will you be invited to things sometimes? Yes. And part of that is we actually love giving you a chance to tell us no. It's good for us to hear the no, to practice accepting it great, graciously. And we think, hey, we hope it's good for you to like experience us accepting it, right? Because sometimes we haven't had those experiences in relationships before. Um, it's complicated, man. It's, it's much messier uh, to do it this way. And I was thinking, you know, Jesus' way, the way that he's talking about with these religious leaders, it's really not a great plan to build an empire or a megachurch. You know, if you want to do that, like you should definitely shame some people. I'm not saying every megachurch does. I'm just saying it would get you there faster. It would be a more effective route, you know, to bring a healthy amount of guilt and shame into the equation, right? You would get there a lot faster. Um, it's a good thing that's not our goal. And it seems like Jesus' way actually worked pretty well for what he actually wanted to do, which was to build this scrappy little network of people who excelled in love. And so maybe we can try and trust, and maybe we can try and do that with each other too, whatever that looks like for us this morning. Our